Lord Jesus, your word is a light to our feet. It's a lamp to our path. Lord, I pray that you would use the words that I speak, the thoughts of our heart, to help us trust that word more. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Last week, my family and I were on vacation, and we were having dinner with some friends. And for dessert, I took this gigantic piece of cake. It was literally about a quarter of the cake. I mean, it was just embarrassingly huge. And my wife, wanting to be supportive, said to me, if you eat that whole thing, you're going to get sick. And I said, I'm on vacation. I'm eating the whole thing. Yes, I'm a pig. Well, my three-year-old son was sitting at the kids' table at the time, and he overheard all of this. And so a few minutes later, he said to all the kids who were with him, you guys, don't eat so much. If you eat your whole piece of cake, my dad will throw up. Something got lost in the translation at that point. My son was not a very reliable source of information. That's how a lot of people feel about the Bible. And yes, I know that's a strange segue, but I wanted to tell that story. So we're talking about objections that people have to Christianity. And certainly a big one is that the Bible is unreliable. You can't trust it. It's a bad translation of what really happened. It's just a myth. It's all made up. And as an adult convert to Christianity who has spent most of my life in the university around a lot of very smart atheists, I have had to deal with this question a lot and wrestle with it. And I'd like to just share some of the reasons that I, as an adult atheist, came to believe that the Bible was absolutely reliable. And I'm going to focus mostly on the New Testament because the center of our faith is Jesus. But a lot of what I say could apply to the Old Testament as well. And just as a word of warning, this sermon is going to be just a little bit more professorial, just a little bit more like a lecture than normal because there's just a lot of information to get across. And I know that can be kind of hard to listen to. So if every once in a while you would just nod to show that you're with me, even if you're not, I'd appreciate it. Are you with me? Presbyterian amen. That's awesome. I know. This is amen, right? Here's what convinced me as an adult atheist that scripture was reliable. The first thing is this, that the historical manuscripts are reliable. Much of the New Testament was written 15 to 70 years after the events they described within the lifetime of the people who experienced them. By ancient standards, that is phenomenal. It means there were a lot of witnesses around to get the story straight. And that's what those passages of Scripture are saying. Look, we've seen this with our own eyes. We touched them with our own hands. We're not making this up. We saw it. We were there. Just to compare to other ancient histories, we have only 10 manuscripts of Caesar's history dated 900 years after he died. We have only two manuscripts of the Roman historian Tacitus that are dated a thousand years after he died. But when it comes to the New Testament, we have 2,400 manuscripts, some dating within 20 years of the events they describe. In other words, the biblical manuscripts are the best preserved and closest to their source of any other ancient document. That's why they were included in the Bible. If you read the Da Vinci Code, or if you've heard about the Da Vinci Code, you may have heard that there were other books that were left out of the Bible. That's true. And the reason they were left out was because they were written much later than the books that were included. In other words, they weren't the most historically accurate books. That's why they were left out. 
not because of some plot on the part of the church. The biblical manuscripts are reliable. The second reason I came to believe that the Bible is reliable is that it agrees with other historical sources. The New Testament, for instance, describes the theater in Ephesus exactly the way other sources describe it. It describes Herod's death the way other non-Christian sources talk about it. The Jewish historian Josephus, not a Christian, describes many of the events in the New Testament in the same, roughly the same way that the Bible does. In other words, where we can compare to non-Christian historians, the Bible is accurate. The archaeological evidence also supports Scripture. To date, there has been no archaeological evidence to contradict anything in the Bible. And even evidence that supposedly contradicted the Bible eventually turned out to be wrong. For example, in Daniel chapter 5, the Bible says that a man named Belshazzar was king of Babylon. But all the historical records said another man was king of Babylon at the time. And everyone said, the Bible's wrong. See, <laughs> see, it's wrong, huh? But then eventually, archaeologists discovered three stone tablets that sort of clarified things. Turned out the guy who was really king of Babylon went away on war and temporarily installed Belshazzar as king. In other words, the Bible was right all along. It just took archaeologists a while to catch up. The Bible agrees with outside historical sources, and for that matter, with science as well. And last week, Bruce Baker gave a great sermon on how Scripture and science are compatible, even the story of creation in Genesis 1. The Bible agrees with outside sources. A third reason I came to believe that the Bible is reliable is that it's very realistic. There are a lot of details in the Bible that smack of an eyewitness account. One of my favorites is Acts chapter 12, where an angel gets the apostle Peter out of prison. You know, and I read through that and I go, angels, uh-uh, no, I don't believe that. Exaggerated. <clears throat> but then you go on, and that same story includes all kinds of details about how Peter was dressed and even the gestures he used when he talks. It sounds like an eyewitness is reporting it. The details are too specific. When Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, Martha says, don't open the tomb, it'll stink. Now, that's kind of an odd detail. I mean, if you were making this up, don't you think she would have said something holier? I don't know, something. The Bible doesn't read like propaganda or myth. The disciples who wrote part of it always are coming off as idiots. Right? So if they were making this up, don't you think they would have polished up their reputation a little bit? The Apostle Paul is always telling the people in his churches to stop coming drunk to communion, stop sleeping with their stepmothers, and you thought we had problems in this church. I mean, whenever I read those, I am greatly comforted, and I think, well, at least I don't have those things going on. Makes me a better pastor than Paul. Maybe not, no. <clears throat> Too far, I know. If you were making this up and you were trying to show that Christianity is this great thing, don't you think you would have left that stuff out? At one point in the Old Testament, King David gets so excited about God that he takes off all his clothes and he starts dancing in public. And his wife says, stop it, you're embarrassing me. That sounds realistic to me. I've heard similar comments. That's why I don't think this book is made up. It is not filled with a lot of false piety or religious cliches. It is a realistic book about life the way I know it. And I can find myself and my problems in this book over and over again. 
It is filled with a lot of very flawed people living very difficult lives, doubting God all the time, and yet somehow God manages to break through and change them. The manuscript evidence, the historical evidence, the archaeological evidence, the realistic accounts all argue for the reliability of Scripture. If the Bible were any other book than it is, and we applied the same standards of historical criticism to it, as we do to other ancient histories, we would conclude that it is the most reliable, most accurate ancient history we have by far. But we don't. And there's only one reason we don't. One reason and one reason alone, and it's this. The Bible contains miracles, so we don't believe it. That's it. That's the whole argument against the unreliability of Scripture. The sloppy syllogism goes like this. Miracles don't happen. The Bible contains miracles. Therefore, the Bible didn't happen. Okay, here's the problem. The conclusion is a restatement of the premise. That's called a circular argument. That's bad. You don't want to do that. When I was teaching, I'd have given that a C-plus at best, if I was in a good mood. Besides, I deny the premise. Miracles don't happen? Really? I know a few people who've had one. They just don't happen all the time. But they didn't happen all the time in the Bible either. It seems that way because they're all condensed into one book. But that book covers 2,000 years of history and hundreds of miles of geography. So do the math, do the long division, and you discover that there weren't many miracles per square mile per year. Most people in the Bible never saw a miracle. That's why when they see one, they're always amazed. Right? It's not as if Jesus raises someone from the dead and they go, Oh, man, another resurrection? This is just getting so boring. They're shocked. They're amazed. Miracles happen. They just don't happen every day. The unreliability of Scripture is based solely on an unproven premise that miracles don't happen. And I am not willing to stake my soul on an unproven premise. Let's just take one miracle out of the Bible. The most important one, actually. Jesus being raised from the dead. If even this one miracle is true, we sort of ought to pay attention, don't you think? Because it doesn't happen every day. And there are a lot of good reasons to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. A couple of years ago, I shared some of those with you. I think from time to time it bears reviewing them and reminding ourselves of them. The story of Jesus is not something Jewish people would make up. The most monotheistic people on the planet would never make up a story about God becoming human. There's the fact that the disciples all died claiming that Jesus was raised from the dead. Folks will die for a lot of things, but not something they know they made up. If it's made up, why were women the first witnesses of the resurrection? In a culture where women were considered pathological liars, their testimony wasn't admissible in a court of law. If you were making this up, some guy would have been there, right? Not women. Then there's the prophecies about where Jesus would be born, how he would live, how he would die written 500 years before he came, all corresponding exactly to events the way they occurred. You could never make that up in a million years. Then there's the sudden rapid rise of the church. Something happened circa 33 AD that has never happened before or since, and Occam's razor pertaining, the best answer is the simplest, Jesus rose from the dead. And if even that one miracle is true, and I believe it is, we probably should pay attention to the rest of the Bible. Because that's a whopper, right? I mean, that's a huge one. And if even that one is true, well, then maybe the others are as well. The Bible is reliable. 
Are you with me? Not losing you? Just shake your You don't have to agree. Just, okay, great. But, you might ask, or I might ask rhetorically to make a transition. Aren't there mistakes and contradictions in Scripture? Sort of. Yes, it occasionally might get a fact or a figure wrong. Yes, there are places it seems to contradict itself. In the Old Testament, the numbers of soldiers in a battle may vary from one account to the other. In one gospel, it says that there were two angels at Jesus' tomb. The other gospel says just one. So? So what? For starters, those things may not be contradictions. The fact that one witness saw two angels and the other only saw one is not a contradiction. It just means the other guy couldn't count. Right? Or didn't see or whatever. Besides, who cares? A man has been raised from the dead and you're counting angels? Miss the point, why don't you? Oh, yeah, raised from the dead. How many did we get? Strange, right? The main point is still the same. Jesus was raised from the dead. Let me put it to you this way. If a house in Bellevue burns down and the Seattle Times says that the house was green and the PI says that the house was blue, does that mean that the house didn't burn down because there's a slightly different account? Of course not. It means the details were slightly different, but the main thing is still the main thing. It still happened. And besides, every cop can tell you that when you're dealing with eyewitness accounts, you always get slightly different versions of the same story. If there's a car accident and everyone tells the exact same details, the cops get suspicious. Because in real life, eyewitnesses see things just a little bit differently and you get discrepancies in how they report it. So if anything, those discrepancies in Scripture argue for its reliability, not the other way around. And the main point is always still the main point. There's a God, and he loves you, and he came in the person of Jesus. He died. He was raised again to forgive your sins. It's crystal clear on the main points and does not contradict itself. So those are some intellectual reasons that I believe that the Bible is reliable. The manuscript evidence, the historical, archaeological evidence, the realistic accounts, those are some reasons I believe it's reliable. But all the arguments in the world won't convince anybody of anything. They can help, but they won't convince. They won't close the deal. The thing that finally convinced me that the Bible was reliable was the ways that it changed my life. Because when I started to read the Bible, and that's a dangerous thing to do because it will change your life. When I started to read the Bible as an atheist, I encountered a God who loved me. I encountered a God who loved me no matter what I did. I encountered a God who loved me no matter what my brokenness, no matter what my sin. And I had never encountered a God before in any of the other books I read like that. And I have read a lot of books. And I have never, ever read that in any other book. It was through reading the Bible that God changed me from a person who was very shy to a person who could become a pastor. It was through reading scripture that I've learned to care for the poor and trust that God is always with me, even in hard times, and to forgive others and on and on. In the Bible, I met God himself, and that changed me, and that's why I know it's reliable. I have a friend whose father disowned him, and he was praying in a church one day by himself, Lord, fix my father, he's all messed up, up. fix him. And as he was praying, the praise song that we just sang started running through his head, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And he said, That's nice, Lord, but fix my dad. He's a mess. But he could not get the song out of his head. It just kept running through his head. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. It just kept going through his head, which annoyed him because he didn't like the song. (laughs) Well, finally, he opened his eyes and he saw that the church had grown completely dark, except for one light 
that was shining on an open Bible on the altar. And he started to laugh because he realized God was kind of joking with him. Thy word, a lamp, a light, right? And he goes, ah, I get it. So he followed the light to the Bible and he, he noticed that it was open to a passage out of Isaiah that said, for you shall be the repairer of the breach, the healer of the generations. You shall be. And he realized that God was calling him to go to his father and fix the relationship and not the other way around. And so that's what he did. And now they have a great relationship. The Bible was reliable because it was reliable in his life. It wasn't a bunch of words on a page. It wasn't just history. It was God himself speaking to my friend. And that's what the Bible is. God himself, the almighty God himself speaking to each one of us through his written word. And it can change us. If you really want to know if the Bible is reliable, put it to a scientific test. Try it out. Read it. Especially the Gospels. Read it for a year and do what it says and then let's see what God does. The only way you're really going to know that Scripture is reliable, the only way you're really going to know for sure is not through any argument that I can give, but if God meets you in it as he has met me. You know, the Bible is sort of like a window with some spots on it. You can stare at the spots, the strange customs that are unfamiliar, the miracles that are hard to believe, the places where God does things we just don't understand. That's like staring at the spots on the window. Or you can look through the window to what it reveals beyond. And that is Jesus Christ. The whole Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, all points to Jesus, this God who is crazy in love with us. It's not so much a book of history as it is a love letter written to each one of us about a God who created us in love, a God who never gives up on his people even when they are frantically fleeing from him, a God who chooses the weak and the lowly and makes them strong, a God who loves us so much that he is willing to come in the person of Jesus and die for us to forgive our sins so that we could be reunited with him. It is a beautiful story. And it all points to Jesus. God's word made flesh. <clears throat> a few years ago, I spent some time with an atheist who was trying to figure out what he believed about Christianity. And the, the, the best talent he had was to doubt. He doubted everything. I may have told you about him before. He'd sometimes say to me, you know, I, I can't even prove that I exist. I doubt even that I exist. I can't prove it, so I'm not even sure I'm here. And I would always say, how can I argue with a man that isn't there? It's not possible to have this conversation. <clears throat> well, one day we were talking about the Bible, and I, I said to him, you got to agree with this. You know, that it is a beautiful story. I mean, literature major here, you know, read a lot of stories. you got to agree to this. It is a beautiful story about a God who is so passionate about us that he would die for us. There is no other story like that. There is no other religion or philosophy that tells that story. You've got to agree that it's a beautiful story. And he said, yeah, but it's just a story. Well, I didn't have it in me that day to argue with him. I was tired. So I just said, okay, I'll grant you that premise that it's just a story. I don't believe it. I believe there's lots of good reasons to believe it really happened. But I will grant you that premise if you grant me mine, that if it's just a story, well, then it's the best darn story ever told. And he bowed his head and his eyes filled with tears. And he said, the very best one ever. And all the better because it's true. And it's for you.
the whole Bible, lived out and recorded for you. It is about a God who loves you so much that he did not give up. It is about a God who loves you so much that he wants to speak to you. It is about a God who loves you so much that he wants you to know his character. It is about a God who loves you so much that he came himself in the person of Jesus to find you and bring you back into relationship with him. It is about a God who loves you that much. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. That is what the entire book is about. All 783,137 words of it is about a God who is passionately in love with you and passionately in love with me. And when we read it, we hear his voice. And that can change us. And that can make our lives new forever. That's how reliable it is. Lord Jesus, thank you for this word you give us through the scripture of how much you love us. Lord, help us to trust it all the more and give more of our lives to you. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.